done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it, and get property in it. Shechem also said to her, to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as you as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamer and Hamer's son Shechem, and the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamer and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let us dwell in the land and trade in them in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the, the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every young male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamer and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. But on the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamer and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble to me by making me stink in the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the parasites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? All right, so not a very pleasant story. And we start out in verse 1 seeing Dinah, which is Leah's daughter, the last uh, born of Leah's children. (coughs) 
the only daughter of Jacob that's named, it does appear by, and I showed you this when we were talking about Dinah back at her time of birth, does appear there were other daughters born to Jacob, but it's the only one named. And so uh, she's old enough to go out, and she decides she wants to visit the daughters of the land and see how they lived. So here's a good question. How old would we guess that Dana might be? And we're guessing for the most part. Yeah, 14. Uh, she was one of the later born. So there was a 20-year period um, with uh, in the time that they were in uh, Laban's household or that general area that Jacob was there. But the first seven years, he, he was not, he'd had no wives. So the second seven years uh, is a time when a lot of the birthing has occurred, although it continued for the next Six, uh, seven, 13 years, seven, yeah, 13 years. And, and she's one of the later born to Leah. A tradition says 13 to 15 years. Most of the Jewish people that would offer up dates, that's what they think, somewhere between 13 and 15. Uh, if you want to go out and read, you can find people that will say she was four or five. Now, that doesn't make any sense. A five-year-old's not going to go out and visit the ladies or the, or the other five-year-old girls in the area. It just, it just doesn't fit anywhere in that. Uh, but she couldn't have been very old. I mean, it's not like she's in her 20s, for sure. So 13 to 15 is probably a reasonable thing. Uh, and she decides she wants to go socialize. I think that's the right way of saying it. It says here she wanted to visit the daughters of the land. So I want to get to know the other young ladies my age in the area, see how they live and get to know them and have friends. And that doesn't go so well in verse 2. Shechem, the son of Hamor, uh, he's called the prince of the land. So we need to talk about what that means in a little bit, but uh, he he sees her there in verse two, and he is taken with her in the sense that he took her away and lay with her forcefully by force. So, what two crimes would we lay at his feet in our world? Rape. Rape. Got to add another one. Kidnapping. Yeah, she would. She didn't. She didn't say, oh, "I want to go," quote, out with him, whatever that might mean. She. She didn't. This was not. This wasn't something that she. She went along with. Now, if we back up a little bit, Hamor is the one that just in the previous chapter we saw sold the land to Jacob. So he's kind of the patriarchal figure, but apparently of the whole region because Shechem is the, quote, prince of the land, meaning he's seen as the young, upst I don't want to say upstart, that has a negative connotation, but he's seen as the younger man that is, has a level of dominance in the society there. And so he is a significant player. And so he took her away and treated her in this manner. In verse 3, we see that Shechem, 
finds himself uh, deeply attracted to her, is how the New American Standard says it, um, if I remember right. He was deeply attracted to Dinah. So um, I think a good word that we might use, he became obsessed with this woman, a young woman that he had uh, kidnapped and forced upon her this sexual relationship. And so it says he loved the girl. I went out to see if there were any ways to narrow that down a little bit. Was it a, 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 a just a lustful relationship? What kind of what kind of feelings did he have for her? And I didn't really find out much. We get a little bit of a clue in verse three. I don't know if it was to try to convince her to respond well to him or because it was feelings of his heart, but it says he spoke tenderly to her. So he is not treating her at that point like um, a woman to be abused and then just discarded. He's, he's, he's uh, making some level of attempt to, to, to have a different kind of relationship with her than that. But for whatever reason, he has set his face toward having this woman for his wife. And so Jacob hears about that. We, we don't know how, but he heard in verse 5 about it. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 4. Out of those desires to have her for a wife, he spoke to his father Hamor. Get me this young girl for a wife. Now this is very typical for the customs, the ways that they did things in that, in that part of the world. And at that time was parents would get together, often at the instigation of their own children, to arrange a marriage when one or both wanted to be married to a particular person. And so it would be done through the patriarchs. And so Shechem goes to Hamar and says, I, uh, this is what I want. Go, go get this arranged if you can. I mean, he doesn't say if you can. He just says, get her for me. Now we get to verse 5. Jacob heard what? That she Dinah had been defiled by Shechem. And I don't know. There's not a lot said here except that his sons are out in the fields. And so he kept his whatever thoughts he might have wanted to say to himself. His inner thoughts aren't recorded here. Uh, I think that it's very clear he's definitely upset by this, but he kept his thoughts inside. Um, and so he kept silent until they came in. So they came back from the field at about the same time the way this story reads. Here is Hamar uh, coming to Jacob to speak to him acting on his son's request. Now we'll find out as we listen to what the text says that Shechem is with him. But Hamar is the one that would be leading the conversation, leading the whole, the whole uh, situation. Now in verse 7, the sons of Jacob came in from the field and they heard the exchanged. And they uh, uh, were upset, very angry, because he had done a disgraceful thing, he was Shechem, had done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So we're starting to see that national identity come out of Jacob's new name Israel, had done in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. 
for such a thing ought not be done. So this was recognized as wrong, as a violation, as incorrect. They were upset, and they didn't like it. Um, it one of the things that's interesting to think about, but isn't terribly, um, I, don't, I don't know, let me just back that up. An interesting thing to think about is, you know, they weren't given the law yet. We, ha we haven't seen a code of living being given, but clearly man being created in God's image has some understanding of what right and wrong would be, and um, they knew this was not right. They know what sin is. This whole world had been washed away from sin once through the flood, so clearly this is, this is wrong and um, a violation of the family. And verse 8, but Hamor spoke with them, so it's a plural, so with all of them there, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. So he lays out the request, makes it clear what he's interested in. And uh, an interesting question to ask right now is, where is Dinah at this moment, do you think, from this story, what we read? Still with Shechem. Why do you say that? Uh, the later verses. Uh... When we get to the revenge part, one of the things they do is take Dinah away from Shechem. Now we could we could create an alternative to that, and we'll do that when we get there. But I really think Dinah's probably still in Shechem's home, and so he leaves her there, and they're over here making this request. There could be another way to look at that, and we'll talk about that when we get over to the revenge moment. But in all probability, Dinah's not even here and is not even in their, in their family's roof at this point. And so Hamar goes into his sales pitch. In verse 9, he says, Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters, or give us your daughters, yes, uh, and take our daughters for yourselves. So in other words, let's intermarry. Let's, let's become one big group. Verse 10, Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. So what's he saying to them? What's his point in this part of the conversation? Become one family. Well, become one family? That's what he's offering What's the payoff to Jacob and family in becoming one, one, one family? Well, supposedly he would become prosperous. Yeah, you can prosperous. You can live. It would be a good trade relationship. You know, we're all going to get better off out of this deal. You can acquire property. He already has some, but you can, you can start putting your roots down here, establish your businesses, and do well. And Shechem also said to her father and her brothers, now, now, now Shechem's speaking, if I find favor in your sight, then I will give you whatever you say to me. Ask me, in verse 12, ever so much a bridal payment and gift, and I will give it according as you say, but give me the girl in marriage. What did he just say? 
What's he? What, what's his offer? We'll start there. He'll, he'll do anything to get her. Does this sound like a rich man? Yeah. I can buy whatever I want. Money fixes everything. I I will give you whatever you ask. And certainly as prince of the land, and clearly Hamor and Shechem, as his son, are influential in the area. We'll see more of that as we go. And so he basically has said, I want her as my wife so bad, I'll pay whatever you ask. And so the thing that just starts this whole comment off by Shechem is kind of amazing. If I find favor in your sight. Now, it's hard for me to put myself in the place of Jacob or his sons and have somebody who's come to me who has kidnapped my daughter and forcefully raped her. That's what it says. Try to set up a situation whereby at this point in time, that person might find favor in my sight. That's a pretty amazing thing to think could even happen. Um, in essence, what Hamar and Shechem are suggesting is, if we can complete this and pay you a handsome bride price, then it turns this whole thing of abduction and rape into marriage. And out of this marriage, Shechem gets the wife he wants, the woman to be his wife in particular, and he gets no questions about what has gone wrong here or what was inappropriate. That's such a weak word for what happened here. This egregious, horrendous sin gets kind of wiped away. Everybody is going to make some money and we're all going to be happy. And you can even name a high price and I'll pay whatever you ask. Now, Jacob doesn't get to say much here that's recorded at least. Because in 13, Jacob's sons do the answering, and they answered Shechem and his father Hamor, Hamor with deceit. So you could say, well, did they plan to do all these things? I don't know if they planned to do everything they did, but they certainly didn't plan, I think, we can say with some certainty, to let this marriage go through. But their answer is, out of their intentional deceit, we can't do this thing. We cannot give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For that would be a disgrace to us. Now, what was the purpose of circumcision? What role did it play? It was a covenant between the Lord and Abraham. To identify all those who were Jewish, Jewish who were who were covered in the promise. Right. Abraham and his household were covered in the promise. Um, would it be true throughout history that it was only by birth that people would be circumcised and covered in the promise? No, there would be proselytizing later on. It really wasn't happening yet at this point, but. And that might have included circumcision as part of the response to become a follower of God, um, at Jehovah, um, as represented by the Jews. 
so their approach here, this is not to, not, this is kind of a misuse of the whole idea of circumcision. Circumcision is about a covenant, right? It was the sign of the covenant. Did they invite them to join in in some fashion, in any fashion, with the covenant that had been made with Abraham? No. And so they, they were misusing this particular covenantal sign that God gave to Abraham. In verse 15 they go on, Only on this condition will we consent to you. And here's where they continue with their deceit. If you will become like us in that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters for ourselves and live with you and become one people. <coughs> but if you won't do this, we're going to gather up our sister and we're leaving. And so I think in one sense there was some worldly shrewdness here. I think the brothers recognized that Shechem was so focused on having this woman as his wife that he was blind to anything else going on but some pathway to get there. They laid out a pathway that gave them an advantage and that's what they lay out for him. Um, you think Hamor, Hamor and Shechem had their uh, wisdom button turned on at this moment? Yeah, they, they might have been able to see through this if they'd have stopped and thought about it. Um, so, the other thing that just never comes up in the conversation in this interaction between Hamor and Shechem and Jacob and his sons is nobody has mentioned the abduction and rape of Dinah. So do they think that Jacob and his sons don't know and they're pulling a fast one? That's a possibility. Um, certainly it wasn't something they wanted to draw attention to, I'm sure. And so it, it just doesn't come up. And the other interesting thing is um, Jacob doesn't say, how dare you come into here and act like you love this daughter of mine and want to treat her well as a wife when the way you started this thing out was kidnapping and rape. I mean, that would have been a very reasonable statement on Jacob's part, I think. The brothers apparently only figure out what's going on when they come back in and get involved in this conversation, but somehow they know what has happened. They aren't, I mean, pitching them out on their ear figuratively, if not actually in physical form, would make a lot of sense here. Now, we don't know why they didn't. Were they in a position of weakness in the area so that if they had done that, uh, they might not have been able to stand up to it? I mean, I don't know. The other thing that's not mentioned here is Jacob is just pretty much silent as far as what's recorded after the initial uh, questioning to him about taking uh, Dinah as Shechem's wife. And so what Jacob was thinking about this deception that his sons had started is not not mentioned. We don't know what he was thinking. 
But we do hear what Hamor and Shechem think about it. In verse 18, the words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem. I find that a fascinating statement. I mean, I believe it. I believe that they went away going, okay. Um, but it just seems fantastic to me that they would have bought into that. And the young man, who's the young man? Shechem. Shechem did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. He is so focused on seeing her as his wife that he goes, let's get started and gets that circumcision process happening for himself personally. And he was more respected than all the household of his father. That is a fantastic statement. It tells us a lot about the culture and about how things happened in the town of Shechem. Now, was he named after the town, the town named after him? We don't know. But in this area of Shechem, he's the respected one. What did he just do? He just kidnapped somebody and raped him. And he's the respectable one in the family. So they were used to a kind of respect and probably deference that would go toward the people who were wealthy in an area. I mean, just, they just look like the people who, out of their wealth, are used to getting their way and doing the things that they want to do. Comments, thoughts so far? I know I'm doing a lot of talking. I haven't given you much chance. Okay? So here's the respected son, Shechem, has gone through circumcision uh, quickly and because he wants to get this ball rolling so he can have her as his wife in his house. In verse 20, Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city. Why the gate? What's special about the gate? What? That's where people meet. So that's where the business is done. It functioned in most cities like the courtroom. If there was going to be charges made, they would come before the, the leaders of the area at the gate. And business that needed to be done officially was done at the gate. Uh, we'll see that m many times throughout the Old Testament that they went to the gate. When uh, um, Boaz wanted to take Ruth to be his wife. There was another relative that would have been first in line. And so where did he do? He went to the gate and they settled up and did the right things at the gate so that the other relative said, no, that's not, I'm not interested, go ahead. And so Boaz did his business at the gate so that he could take Ruth as his wife. So that's just the kinds of things that happen. And that's where people gather. Uh, so they go to the gate of the city and they spoke to the men of their city saying, these men are friendly with us, therefore let them live in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. So he says, hey, we've got room. These are friendly people. Let's bring them into our midst. And he says, let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Now, one of the things that probably everybody knows, but doesn't specifically get said here, is we already have set up a marriage between one daughter and my son. But he says, only on this condition will the men consent to live with us to become one people, that every male among us must be circumcised as they are circumcised. 
And so he lays out, this is what we have to do if we want to pull this off. Now, Hamor um, has a part of him that is uh, kind of as a slick salesman or a man who knows how to influence other people. Verse 23, he starts doing that. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them that they will live with us. What did he say? What does he hold out for them that they might expect if they go along with this deal? Take everything Jacob does. Yeah, we're going to clean their clock. We're going to take all their stuff. And that didn't exactly come up over in the discussion with Jacob, did it? No, he's playing both ends against the middle. Jacob, come be with us. There's plenty of room here. You can have land. You can acquire more property. You can trade with us. We'll trade wise so we'll intermingle in our marriages and we'll be one big happy family when he goes to the folks that would be the big happy family with jacob he says hey we can have their stuff was that a big deal do you think Probably so. remember jacob and his travels he had prospered greatly under haman he was bringing huge flocks with him was he richer than hamor we don't have any idea who who would win any of those contests but we know that Jacob creates a bit of a stir wherever he goes. His own comments, I came out of the land of Canaan with only my staff, and I came back with three camps of people and goods. So he was prosperous. They're looking this over going, this guy's got a bunch of stuff. And Hamor sees a way to use that and create an expectation amongst the people if we play the game for a while, all that stuff can be ours. Hamor's good with greed, isn't he? He does, I don't know if he convinces anybody in Jacob's clan because they're not thinking about greed. What are the boys thinking about? Revenge. But these folks maybe bought into the greed. I don't know, but that's certainly his sales card. We can have their stuff. And he's successful. I find this amazing. All who went out of the gate of this city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of this city. Now, I don't want to bring a frivolous kind of thought process on top of this, but imagine starting a men's business club where we're going to be smart traders and get rich. And the only thing you have to do to join is be circumcised. You think they're going to beat down your door? I think this is a tough sell. Um, the way it was brought into Abraham's life was as a covenant with the God Almighty. I can get that. I have a tough time thinking that the men of the town were enthusiastic to join up with Haman's plan. Sorry, Haman. Hamor's plan. But for whatever reason, it was good enough to them that they all did it. And so um, everyone is circumcised. And uh, I just, my, my, my little comments in my own notes when I was preparing, 
I've got behind every time that that seemed reasonable to Hamar and Shechem and then the men did this, I've got this really with a question mark behind it. I just, I have trouble getting my brain around that one, but they got it done. Um, and so Hamor had four points. These men, Jacob's clan, they're friendly. Uh, let's let them live in the land and trade with us. The land is big enough and we're going to be able to intermarry with them and they with us. And so they seem to be very much attracted to, the people were attracted to, this idea of all being one people. So we get to verse 25, and three days later, when they were in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took a sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. So at least two of them were planning murder. Was that the plan of the whole set of brothers when they laid this out? Don't know. Why weren't the other brothers there? Don't know. But these two were full-blooded brothers to uh, Dinah. And um, so... They were actually the second and third children of Leah and Jacob, of course. And so they made this surprise attack on the city. And in verse 26, we see that every man included Hamor and his son Shechem. And then they took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. So at least at this point, we know Dinah was in Shechem's home. Could it have been that... She was already given as a part of this marriage contract after Shechem was circumcised. I suppose that's possible. I would really expect that Shechem had just kept her this time. Um, but so here's Shechem's house. They get Dinah out, and they're not done. The rest of the brothers now get involved in the uh, revenge uh, it is interesting that two men with swords were able to take all the men of the city and put them to death. Don't know how many all the men of the city were, but um, we know it was more than two, and we know there was people at the gate, and we know it was a city with a gate. So there had to have been a number of men there. But in verse 27, all the brothers get together, and they looted the city. And the scriptures are clear that they did this because they had defiled their sister. Now, um, why the rest of the city? Why were they mad at the whole city? Was that reasonable? Did the whole city do this? No, I think they just got greedy. Well, they may have been greedy, but there's another side to this. Who did Dinah go see? What's that? She went to see how other women in this city lived. We're going to make friends. We're going to socialize. Um, she didn't willingly go with Shechem. That's very clear. He took her away. So the rest of the city just went, okay. I mean, there is some culpability here. If some woman was in our midst and some man came to take her away and kidnap her, and we just all didn't, we didn't call the cops, we didn't 
called Jacob. We didn't do anything, so to speak. Call Jacob. You couldn't do that. But they took no account that we can see for, hey, this woman is here. What are you doing? Stop. You know, but there's a lot going on here. And if we got the picture of the city right, Hamor and maybe Shechem, because Shechem was the prince of the land. Hamor was the patriarchal person. They kind of ran the city, didn't they? So people weren't willing to stand up to them, maybe. Might be like some of the Old West movies that we see where you've got a rich person kind of runs everything, gets their way in all means and manner. But for whatever reason, the city didn't seem to do, do or care anything about what happened to Dinah, that we see at least. And uh, so I'm not saying that they're justified in looting the city, but because of Dinah, they looted the city. And they did a good job of it. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys, that which was in the city and that which was in the field. So they did a good job gathering up all the items of value and they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives and even all that was in their houses. So apparently they have now become part of Jacob's clan the people of the city that were not the men that were slain. And um, okay. So Jacob then when it's all over he says to Simeon and Levi you brought trouble on me. What was the trouble that they brought on him? Well, you killed a whole city, and the result is everybody in the rest of the country are going to come after me. They're going to come after me. Um, the New American Standard uses a nice word. You've made a, made me odious. Um, the uh, what version were you reading from? ESV says. The ESV says we stink now, or I stink now, um, and. Amongst all the Canaanites and the Perizzites and my men being few in number, they're going to gather against me and attack me and I will be destroyed, I and my household. We'll talk about his brother's response, then we'll go back to that. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? That was the brother's position. This had to be done. Uh, you've seen the Old West movie, somebody killed my brother, so somebody's got to die. You know, that kind of a thing. And they said, so this needed to be done, in essence, because we couldn't let this offense to our sister Dinah stand. What do you think? Did they have a point? They had a point... Um, an interesting thing is, in verse chapter 35, we're going to see God tell Jacob, hey, get up and go. And he's got some more plans for him, but God doesn't say anything about this account. Now, Jacob's got some more to say, and we'll see that at the end of Genesis. And I'm not going to steal the thunder from the end of Genesis. We'll need it when we get to that chapter and talk about it there. But Jacob's not happy, is he? Why, what, is, what is the issue he brings up about it all? They've overdone it. Well, we now stink, and the result's going to be what? People are going to come after us. And? Wipe them out. 
We will be destroyed. Is he, is he right? Is that a possibility? Yeah. Let's go look at Genesis 32, 9 through 12. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. Now this is a later one uh, where we have some interaction here. And we, we could talk about previous ones, but let's look at, let's read this one. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do good, do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the I am, <clears throat> I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I become two camps. Please deliver me from the land of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, that me, the mothers with children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So here's Jacob, and he's praying to God. Why is he praying there in Genesis 32? He's afraid of Esau. He's afraid of Esau. But in his prayers, he's remembering the promises God gave him. <laughs> And what was the promise gave him? God gave him that he would come back to his land and what? Prosper him and his offspring would be as numerous as the sand of the seashore. Jacob knows the promises, doesn't he? And we could go back to the promises. We could go back to when Isaac transferred being the child of the promise from himself to Jacob, Jacob is the child of the promise, right? Does he really need to fear the people? No. Now, to be fair, you know, uh, people have lived in a world that is sometimes hostile from the beginning of time. Hostility was brought into the world by Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden. And sure enough, in their first two offspring, one of them kills the other one. And from there on, there has been hostility in the world because of our sinfulness and the sinfulness of mankind as a whole. And God has promised to take care of us. Now, he hasn't promised us we won't have trouble. He's brought Jacob back into the land, and as he establishes himself in Shechem, the first thing that happens is he has a daughter kidnapped and raped. So is everything going to just come up roses? No. But does Jacob have to worry about survivability or whether or not his clan will continue? No. He doesn't have to worry about it because of the very promises of God Almighty. Would we say that's true? Yeah. yeah. And so when Jacob chastises his sons... It is interesting, and I, that's about as far as I'd probably go with it, but he doesn't say, they did evil to Dinah, so you did evil to them. He, what doesn't come out in his words 
is this had to be offensive to God himself, didn't it? At least it's questionable. Now at times did God give marching orders to his servants to wipe people out? Uh, yes. Did he do that here? Sure not recorded. And so um, I just find it interesting that the chief thing Jacob has to say doesn't have to do with serving God. As a matter of fact, the chief thing he says is, I'm afraid they're going to wipe us out when he's got a promise of God that's very thing won't happen. And it may sound like I'm standing up here trying to set up a situation where we look down upon Jacob like we're better than him. No, we're just like him. When the heat comes on so many times, we turn to what we think the world's going to do to us instead of what would please God, how can I please God, and even if I die. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They got it right. Even if we don't survive this fiery furnace, there's still only one God in heaven. And they went into the fiery furnace with a testimony on their lips, not being certain whether they would come out of that fiery furnace or not. Certain God could spare them, not certain God would spare them. And um, what we get from the scriptures is what really happens. And sometimes what really happens is really good, but sometimes we get to see a little bit of a reflection on who we as followers of Adam tend to be. And so we see this conflict between them because all the brothers can think about is revenge and all Jacob can think about at this moment at least is the danger that might be brought upon him because of what they did. Which leads you to a whole nother question. When the brothers suggested back in the meeting, well, we're not going to send our daughter to you as a wife unless you all are circumcised. Did Jacob think that the boys were suggesting that if they'd all go get circumcised that Dinah was headed over there as a wife and now we're going to all be one people? Didn't Jacob almost have to know that wasn't their intent? And yet he said nothing. Yes, ma'am. Well, that's another really great question. And, and it shows us something. There are, Jacob has these bright moments of, of um, leadership, of being the patriarch he should be. And one of them is actually based on a falsehood. When Laban comes and says, you stole my idols, Jacob says, want to bet? And if you can find them here, we'll kill whoever's got them, not knowing Rachel had really done it. That's the falsehood. <coughs> When Laban searches and can't find him, then Jacob unloads on him. Quite appropriately, it would be more appropriate if Rachel wasn't hiding the, the actual idols. But every once in a while, Jacob will stand up and be the strong leader he should be. But most of the time, Jacob makes his way through life by being shrewd in the background. And he did that with Laban. He made a deal with Laban that Laban thought was going to be to his advantage, but through God's grace, 
and through some of Jacob's own knowledge, uh, it turned out Jacob prospered greatly. Um, Jacob didn't become outraged when, well, he became a little bit outraged when Laban substituted Leah as his wife, um, but he didn't really, he went, well, okay, and worked another seven years. I think most people would have said, stop. The seven years I worked for Rachel have already been paid. If you want me to take Leah as a wife as well, we're kind of past the point of no return there, that's fine, but I'm not working another seven. No, I've done the seven. We're done with that, okay? But that's not Jacob. Jacob is kind of a man easily manipulated. And I think when the boys got there, I think his natural tendency was let others deal with conflict, and he did until he didn't like the way it all worked out. And then he turned around and said, what have you guys done? Well, your opportunity, Jacob, was back there when we were laying the trap. You know, Jacob should have spoke up and said, no, she's not going to be your wife. I don't care what happens or whatever the right answer was. He had to know something like this was coming. The deceit was fairly obvious, I would think. Um, maybe I mean, is it possible that he thought, well, they're okay with him taking his taking uh, Dinah as a wife, and I guess we're going to be here. I don't think so. I think I think he knew better, but now it's what I think and not what I know because it's not outright said in the scriptures what Jacob was thinking. But it just seems hard to believe that he would not have known their deceit was in behind all that even if he didn't know specifically what they intended to do with the opportunity that would be presented when all these men were laid up trying to recover from circumcision. Did I answer your question okay? Yeah, and then I have another question. All right. Sorry. No, that's fine. Don't apologize. The sons of Jacob. So with the culture, with Rachel and Leah being his wife, then you have servants who have sons. Were all the sons treated the same? Pretty, it, it seems as though they were, and yet... Before we're done with Genesis, we're going to find out that the offspring of Rachel were special to Jacob. Rachel stayed special to Jacob all through her life. And so did her children. Now, does that mean he didn't care for the other kids? No. Did it mean the other kids didn't get involved in stuff? No. I mean, they're all, they're all his family, and he cares about them. But I, it's pretty clear that the two children, one not yet born, of Rachel were <coughs> in a special place in his heart. Good questions. There's one, I'm not really afraid of it, but I don't know that I have for sure the right answer to it. So was Joseph a part of this? And that creates an interesting question because we haven't really got to all of the, spe I mean, Joseph's birth has been announced because it was right after the birth of Joseph that they left. So Joseph was very small when they left Laban, so he probably would not have been old enough to be a part of this. But it doesn't read that way, and how many years have gone by, we really don't know before this occurred. The other thing that gets into that is not all of the events in the Old Testament are necessarily in fully chronological order. 
There are some commentators that say Joseph was already sold into slavery at this point, and they've got some reasons for that based on the role that the town of Shechem played in some of the right, some of what's written about Joseph. I don't think that's the case, but those folks would say the sale of Joseph as a slave actually occurred before this, but we don't actually hear about it until we get into the place where Genesis really becomes the story of Joseph almost entirely. So that's out there. Because when you hear about Joseph and you read about Joseph, you go, I can't hardly picture him being a part of this. I mean, he was so tuned in with God and was willing to endure great hardship, um, even when it wasn't justified and so on and so on and so on. just doesn't seem like his personality would fit it. <clears throat> so my personal feelings are he probably was just too small at this point based on the timing involved. But who am I to say? I'm not 100% I'm not sure of that, but I'm pretty sure of that. Any other questions or comments? We kind of just a few minutes long right now. I'm just, uh, yeah. I'm just amazed that, that um, Moses even included this story, and I'm trying to figure out what his purpose was, you know, writing this um, to the people of Israel. Um, That's an excellent point. <clears throat> yeah, and I just, I don't get it. So I think there are two reasons that these kinds of things get included, and maybe even specifically, why is Moses talking about it? Um, he's writing this to a group of people that's being taken to the promised land who are quite a people. If, you you know, if we were to be studying that right now, we'd be talking about their uh, rebelliousness, their childishness, their constant, you know, we just crossed the Red Sea and then just a day or two later they're going, did you bring us out here to die? You know, what, have you not seen what God has done? But at times they are very proud. And certainly, he's just telling them, you're not that much different than anybody else. That's a piece of it. Um, maybe. I mean, that's a reason we could suppose. But one of the things that I think is very true about particularly the book of Genesis and some of the other accounts where we get into historical things that are not favorable to the Jews or to mankind in general is if someone set about to falsify some sort of a religious order in order to manipulate people or whatever, they'd never include this. To me, these stories are a huge testimony to the validity of the scriptures that we have. Because if it was just men putting something together to try to accomplish something or deceive people or pick whatever motive you want to put with it, these kinds of things would be counterproductive to it. So I, I really believe that, that a huge part of it is God made sure we got a chance to see the way it was with the warts and all, and we would know it was real and true. Good question. I, didn't, I should have. Insight would have been good to have already talked about that. What else? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, that is a great question. It is. And actually, the answer is pretty extensive, so we don't have time to develop that. But really, it's Moses demonstrating God's faithfulness to Genesis 3.15 and the Abrahamic covenant to the people of Israel at the time Moses was writing that. Yep. So it's a really important story. It means a couple of reasons. 
because Satan's purpose was to destroy the seed of Abraham. Mm-hmm. You see that through the entirety of the Old Testament. And he done that by trying to tempt the Israelites to intermarry with the pagans, Canaanites, and to worship their idols. So that's exactly what we see going on here. Mm-hmm. That's true. Destroy the seed of Abraham. Same time, we see God on the other side saying, "I'm preserving this seed from which the Messiah will come." And so, the Abrahamic covenant is driving everything that's going on here. And Moses says, "Included this story to demonstrate the faithfulness of God in the life of the people of Israel." That's very good. Very good point. What's going on here? That's why he included this story. This is just not some incident that happened that Moses thought was interesting piece of history. Well, I don't think, and, and I hope I didn't misspeak in some way, make it appear that way. I mean, none of, none of the stuff that we, none of the stuff, none of the content of the scriptures is just because it was interesting. Um, it, it all plays a collective purpose and role in that, and that's a very good very good uh, way of drawing that together, Dave. Appreciate that very much. For our benefit, this is document, you know, because after all this time, the old saying, the more things change, the more things stay the same. For our benefit, today, to look and realize, yep, we just like this. Yep. And and we need to think like God's Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And we do get the clear message of God's provision for us, not because we're great, but despite we're fact, we're sinners. But we're out of time. Thank you, and we will see you next time.